Shall we now turn, friends, to this chapter in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20. We'll read again at verse 9. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. As Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him and said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Friends, here we have a surprising incident here is um, someone listening to the mighty apostle Paul, and yet he falls asleep. And uh, so it's the lessons that we can learn from this young man that we want to look at tonight, perhaps especially the young people uh, among us. So we'll first of all look at a good interest a bad excuse, and a blessed deliverance. <clears throat> I've tried to look at the meaning of this young man. His name, Eutychus. And uh, as far as I can make out, it means, the U, of course, means good, just like euvangelion means good news. The evangel of the gospel is in Greek is euvangelion, euangelion, I should say. So this you means good, and tuchos seems to be mean interest, a good interest. Here is a young man who from his birth was given this label, a good interest. And sometimes, of course, labels don't apply to the contents, do they? You may be, the ladies may be making marmalade and they pick up a few jars and fill them with the contents, eh, but they're not, they haven't removed the old labels. And so your husband looking in the fridge for jam might come out with the wrong thing because the label is not telling the truth. Well, whatever label you have, you've probably been given it to represent somebody in the past, to represent something. And this young man had this interesting name, a good interest. What a lovely name to have. I've never heard of anyone called Eutychus, but it's a good idea for a new birth, isn't it? Somebody with a good interest. Remember how the great uh, Scottish covenanter, William Guthrie, wrote a book called The Christian's Great Interest. And so the challenge for us is, do we have this great interest? Where every time we come to the church, are we looking? and interested 
to discover something that we anxiously look for, a good interest in the things of God. We're not here just for some other, other reason, but it's interest that draws us. And here was this young man, and he's a good interest. He's here. What a wonderful place to be. Where the mighty Apostle Paul was preaching. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he's here tonight among us? What wonderful words, appropriate, penetrating words he would have. He had a good interest. His name. Then is his privilege, the privilege of this young man. It was a good day. It was a wonderful day to be alive. We're told that upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. This was a new thing. Many of these people were, former, were Jews and formerly worshipped according to Moses, but they had discovered that there was a new Sabbath. It's not new to us, but we should still have that fresh interest and realization of how wonderful is the fact that we no longer worship as the church on the Saturday, but we commemorate the first day of the week because the Lord of the Sabbath, who has mastery over it since the creation, which he made um, with the Father, has by his resurrection moved the day of rest and of worship from the seventh day to the first day. And here they are. This young church is joyfully celebrating that Christ is alive. It's the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no doubt they're in the spirit on the Lord's day, many of them, uh, especially because they have the apostle with them and also because they are breaking bread. They are having a Lord's Supper on that day. And what a wonderful message it must have been from the apostle as he reminded them, as he does in Corinthians, as he reminds the Corinthians. That which I received, I also give unto you, that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and blessed it and gave to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. They were celebrating the resurrection, but also the death of their precious Savior, his death for them. The extent of his love for them, poor sinners, many of them pagan sinners, now rejoicing. <clears throat> and here we are. It's also the first day. Are we celebrating? Are we rejoicing? Do we realize the privilege that we have to worship here this night and to realize that this one who died 2,000 years ago, is now a living 
mediator and intercessor with the Father. We are down here. He is up there. And he is, we are united to him. And this first day of the week celebrates that. You notice that Paul was on his way to celebrate Pentecost. Because, of course, that was the beginning of the New Testament church. It was also on the first day of the week. Because it was, it was 50 days after the Passover. The 49 would be seven weeks. And on the 50th day, it would be the first day of the week. And so these new, this new church was putting in place the very order that glorifies the risen Son of God. It was a good day. And isn't this a good day for you? Has it been good for your soul to be out here this morning and this evening? Are you reaping the benefits that this young man should have been reaping there? Oh, we don't have physically Paul with us, but we have so much of his testimony and his precious words deposited for us in our Bibles. In that sense, Paul is with us. The apostles are with us. The prophets are with us. What a joyful day. What a privilege to be here. His name, his privilege, his opportunity. His opportunity. It was a day of good news because the apostle Paul preached unto them and continued his speech until midnight. Nobody wanted him to stop. They just poured out of his soul that message that he had, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And they couldn't hear enough of it, except for this young man. All were wide awake, except for this young man. What excuse did he have? What excuse did he have? I'm suggesting three excuses, three bad excuses. And friends, there's nobody here has any excuse for not receiving Christ as he is made known to you in the gospel. Seems this man, young man, was not paying attention. The first excuse was the danger of this, of the smoky lights. There were many lights in the upper chamber. You know what the lights were like? They didn't have our electricity and just throw the switch, press the switch and get light instantly. No, the only method of lighting was to burn a, either vegetable or animal oil in a little lamp. And these lamps were very smoky. And when there was a lot of them, quite a lot of heat was given off. And so this, uh, although it was quite a large room that they were in, and a high room, gradually the whole atmosphere became very suffocating and very smoky and very heavy. Yes, the light became a danger to him. These things that were bringing light were also bringing this suffocating, drowsy effect. 
You know, there's many people like that. When they're hearing the lamp of the gospel, it seems to put them to sleep. This is the danger that they can be hearing in the presence of the gospel of grace and salvation, which they need to escape hell and death. They're hearing the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to intercede for sinners and to save them. And you know this? They're drowsy. They're nodding off. They're not paying attention. There, there's a Eutychus here, perhaps, tonight. Your mind is not on the word. Even the gospel can become drowsy to some people. They said, oh, I've heard it all before. Tell me something new. It just goes on and on and on every week. Are you a young person like that? Gets tired of the gospel. Are you a Eutychus? My friends, it's a bad excuse. It will not stand on the last day. Here's a man just on the verge of death, and he's falling asleep under the gospel. It's happened to many people. It could happen to you. You don't know if you'll see tomorrow. And yet are you anxiously hanging on every word of, for the hope of your soul? His danger was these smoky lights. He was drowsy under the sound of the gospel. A bad excuse. It was no excuse. Then was his failure. Because of the wordy message. He went to sleep because the message was so long. Are you one of these people that find the sermon too long? You see, when is he going to stop? If you just turn, if you just come to an end of things. Is there any need to go on all that long? If only, if only. You see, this young man, the message went on too long for him. And so sleep overcame him because despite his name, good interest, there wasn't sufficient interest. There wasn't a burning interest. I've read of young men that used to walk from the west coast of the highlands to the east just to hear the gospel. They would ride, they would set off on a Saturday night and walk all night, 40 or 50 miles, because they heard that the gospel was being preached. Oh, friends, are we not ashamed that we're not riveted to the fact that Jesus himself is here? Tonight, and he's speaking to our consciences and hearts. His failure was this wordy message, just too much for him. Oh, friends, isn't it wonderful when people just say, I wish it would go on. I wish it would go on further. Why is it coming to a stop? I need more. I have that good interest. If only I can fill my soul with the knowledge of the living God, it's very, it's life and it's meat and drink to me. But no, your good interest isn't there, his failure. And there is the other excuse for his accident was this. It was his choice of a place. He chose this lofty perch 
There was a smoky lamp. There was a wordy message. There was a lofty perch. There he was up on the top. <clears throat> Somehow he climbed up. There must have been one loft after another, like galleries in this building. And he got up to the top one. You can imagine why. He just thought, oh, well, I've got to be here. <clears throat> after all, it's, it's the great apostle that's here and my parents uh, are so interested. But anyway, I'll just creep up to this top place and people won't notice me. They won't realize that my mind's occupied with, uh, with something else while they're so interested in us. I was just reading a story about a man called Bursey during the time of the Covenanters. And um, he caused a lot of trouble because his heart wasn't in it. People were risking their lives going to the conventicles. And he was exploiting them and stealing their clothes. He was a cobbler. And one day he got a great order for Monday morning uh, to mend shoes in a certain place. But he was scared to walk in the dark. So he went off on the Sabbath day to get to the place for his Monday morning work. In other words, he broke the Sabbath. And because he was a bit ashamed of this, he crept into the house where he was working and he, while people were out at the uh, worshipping, he crept up into a loft above the domestic room, the living room of the people. And he crept in there with his tools and he went to sleep there. And then when the people were having their evening worship, they were su surprised because a tool fell down from the loft. And then a knife fell down. And they were really astonished and there was panic among these people. And then Bursi himself woke up and scrambled and they found out here was the culprit hiding in this loft, misspending his Sabbath day, putting his work before everything else. You know, there's some people like that. They're thinking of Monday morning when they're here in the in the service in the evening. There's a, there's a Eutychus in every church, I think. Anyway, here he was, his lofty perch. The very place that he chose to be, so to speak, be hidden was his undoing. It almost cost him, indeed cost him his life because he was taken up for dead. Yes, friends. There's a bit of Eutychus in us all, isn't there? Oh, how often we will make an excuse. I might say, well, I'd better go along to the ferry tonight and make a demonstration and, uh, with my tracts, and I'll look for an excuse not to do it. But I can't find an excuse. I've got to go. You all have your own ways in which you're tempted to find an excuse that will put your life in danger. Have you an excuse for refusing the Lord Jesus tonight? Have you an excuse for saying, not saying, Lord, I repent, pardon my sin, take me as your child, I give my all to Jesus. Some people are still holding back. You've got a bad excuse, haven't you? In fact, you've got no excuse. The excuses of this man cost him dear. They cost him his life. 
Most of the people in hell today are there because they had an excuse. And they thought that excuse would be enough. But it wasn't enough. And so Eutychus sunk down with sleep and fell down. Was taken up for dead. You can go out of this church tonight. And though other people may not notice, you're like a dead man walking because you haven't received the message of God's grace. Is that true? You don't have an excuse, do you? But here is the good news, friend. Despite all our failings, our dangers, our choices, there is deliverance at hand. Paul went down and fell upon him and embraced him and said, Trouble not yourselves. His life is in him. His life is in him. And so he was raised up. This is a picture, really, of the, of the whole church of Troas. Because, in fact, of any church, we can be in danger of dying out. For these very reasons of this man. Because we don't have sufficient good interest. We need to go further. Lest we fall asleep. But this is how we are wakened up. It's when the Apostle Paul applies himself to us. When the message of grace in the apostles is applied to us in our deadness. And that's what I'm seeking to do tonight. Oh, sleepy soul, listen to the message of the apostle. What did he say? He said, this is a saying worthy of all acceptation. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He came in to save sinners. That's you, isn't it? Why did he go to all that trouble? So that you, believing in him, might be saved from the hell that you deserve. But as he said in another place, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Just believe, take it, and say tonight, this is my gospel, this is my Christ. I'll trust in nothing else. He is my hope for time and for eternity. Oh, Christ Jesus, take me. I offer myself. Is anyone here just on that, at that very point? And they're offering, you're, you're offering your soul to Christ and say, Jesus, take me. Take me as I am. Without one plea except, but that thy blood was shed for me. It's as simple as that, but it's gloriously, powerfully, life-giving. Take these words of the apostle and apply them closely to your dead soul and you'll find you're alive again. You'll find that life. That man rose with a new life. 
His old life was gone. But he had received and Paul discovered that Christ had given him a new life. Not Paul that gave him life. It was Christ through Paul. Not the words of Paul. It's Christ using the words of Paul that save many a soul. <clears throat> and that's the gospel we preach. And so, friends, this gospel is no ordinary gospel. This is no ordinary preacher. It's not I who am speaking tonight. Yes, it's the apostle and it's Christ, the great evangelist of all who is speaking to your soul. I am nothing. He is everything. It's no ordinary preacher. And as a result, there is no victory for death. His life is in him. Here was a case in which death seemed to have triumphed. Can you just imagine what it would have been like if that boy had remained dead? What a shadow it would have cast. How about these parents with their son gone? Oh, the heartbreak of that night. All oh, the rejoicing and all this eh, privileges would seem to have evaporated because death had visited them. And they would say, what has God done? Why has he brought this terrible tragedy into our evening of worship? But no, you're not going to out of here a dead man. You're going to go out alive, aren't you? Alive with the life that Christ has come and been victorious over death. That's the message, isn't it? This is a savior who has conquered death. That's the message. You are going to die. And on that day when you die, you will live. On the day that Eutychus died, he lived. That was what will be true of you. You will live with a new life. That's what the victory is that Christ. But for Christ, you would be dead. There is no memory of defeat. As Paul went on his way, we read. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. I suggest this is the comfort we need, isn't it? If you heard a soul was born again tonight, it would bring comfort. Aren't you yearning, friends, to see souls born again? Isn't this the comfort that our congregation needs? Ah, yes. Let's believe that that Eutychus is here tonight. This is the day when he realized that he was appointed to death. But Christ has given you life. Let us pray. Living God, we thank thee for that good interest that is a saving interest and a glorious interest in Jesus. We realize that there is no other thing that will interest us except that we have him, Christ and him crucified, that we've heard the message of the apostle who said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
And whosoever believeth shall not be condemned, but has passed from death unto life. Grant it, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.